Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. From the world's first officially recognised sim racing group, it's the Tora Radio Show. Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Tora Radio Show here on RadioLeMans.com. I'm Matt Hunter, as usual. Actually, Matt Hunter, I haven't subbed or anything. And alongside oh, me, yeah. I'm pretty certain it's him as well, it's Mr. Jordan Groves. Hello, yes, I am indeed myself. <laughs> Can you prove? <laughs> um, don't check my IP address. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dear listener, I think you know the, the, the way this conversation is going to go already. Um, and, goodness me, and we're going to jump straight in because it is as you can probably imagine going to be a very hefty show uh with one particular topic but we don't want to go anywhere near that just for the minute because we have a very special guest and it is and it actually is mr andy blackmore andy welcome to the show how are you doing very very good it's very awesome to have you on the show i mean livery designer extraordinaire as far as we're concerned um where to begin i mean for those who don't know, obviously Andy, Andy Blackmore, you've been in the business for, for quite some time now, designing some, let's face it, very iconic liveries um, th- uh, throughout the years. I suppose the first question really, besides all that, how are you and how is life at the minute for you? Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me on, especially uh, given how busy your show is going to be. Um, (laughs) yeah I'm good Uh, we live in Canada although you can tell or you might be able to tell I'm originally from the UK from Bristol Bristol Um, great place Uh, not that anybody else on this podcast is biased Um, no so you're next uh, door you're next door to a county that is brilliant so that's okay <laughs> I actually the village I live in is now North Sunset, so uh, I can I can sort of claim that when I want to. Uh, anyway, I digress. I'm I'm doing good. Work is actually pretty pretty damn good. Um, I've had to transition into sim racing skins, hence why I might have been asked on here. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's kept me very busy, so that's good. I work from home anyway, so um, and Canada seems to, at least BC, which is where I live, uh, seem to have softened this so-called curve, uh, at least for the moment. So uh, we're actually uh, in, a, in a good situation, so can't complain. Very, very good to hear. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the transition to... Um to sim racing particularly obviously iRacing uh, the Turner liveries have been I think particularly well received and getting a lot of um, coverage on uh, on the um, IMSA Pro series that's been going on uh, at the moment how have you found the tra- transition what I suppose the question really is what uh, what substantial differences did you find from designing uh, liveries for a real car process to d- doing the same process for iRacing for example Sure. So there, there's two types of liveries I'm doing. I'm either doing recreations, and most of those are recreations of my own liveries, but not always. And sometimes they're on different chassis. So I've done, for example, Rebel Rock Racing uh, in the US, running a Camaro in the Michelin Pilot Challenge. And they uh, have a BMW M8 in iRacing, so we've had to 
put that livery onto a BMW. Um, we've just done that with another car um, that's and was originally an Aston Martin, so that will be appearing in the race. So that was interesting to try and disguise uh, the rather, let's say, ample BMW M8 into an Aston Martin. Um, so that's one area. And then the other area uh, is basically doing something from scratch. So most of mine are actually recreations at the moment. Um, it's quite a transition. It's actually quite frustrating because it, uh, anybody who does skins know that it has to be pixel perfect, or it should be, and you end up have refreshing and going back and refreshing and going back countless times, whereas when I design a livery, normally I'm working in Illustrator and it's all vector shapes and, you know, don't have to worry about pixelization and raster images and stuff like that. So um, it is... Uh, actually a bit frustrating and time consuming uh in terms of designing a livery you know the realities are people don't have budgets uh for to do full liveries like in the real world um so if i'm creating a new livery it's pretty much a one hit you know and uh, i just run with it and uh the the clients know that for so for example last week i did a or created a livery for scott hargrove and uh full talk gear which is a partner radio show limited mm-hmm. um you know their colors are there are a couple of shades of green and black so we just quickly spoke over the phone came up with an idea of using a semi-chrome green so that it pops on screen you imagine 50 cars sometimes bit you know the stream is not that crisp sometimes so uh, we want something that pops and looks vibrant um so we came up with the brief over the over a zoom call and then went straight into it and that was that done um so that's really how the process is working at the moment <laughs> well let's i mean let's explore that a little bit because i mean you know jordan will know i dabble in liveries myself um some what okay once i suppose um when you are presenting <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When you are presented with an actual blank canvas of a car, um, yeah. and, and someone turns, around, how often is it someone literally just turns around to you and goes, "Put something on this, please. Here's the kind of color range I want." What? Which way round do you like? I'm trying to think how best to word this. Uh, really. I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. So <laughs> I. So there, there are some designers who are really good at that blank canvas. Uh, you know, people like the Sean Balls of this world and, and Nick Mars and stuff. I'm, that isn't my strongest thing. My thing is very about corporate and corporate branding and stuff. So I actually find it easier when a client comes to me and says, this brand, so for example, Michelin, you know, want a livery on their car. Mm-hmm. That is very, that's actually probably more exciting to me then because I don't see corporate identity and branding as, uh, you know, as a dead end. As a, I, I see it as a challenge. I see it as interesting and something to get my teeth into. When I have a, a request, oh, a blank canvas, so I'm doing a Mustang at the moment, uh, and it's just going to be a track day car, and the guy likes blue and white, and that's the brief. You know, and so I can go in multitude different directions then and not actually get anywhere because it could be what he doesn't want. Um, so I, I prefer it when somebody um, gives a brief. What I do actually ask clients, less so of the iRacing world, but in the real world, mm. when people um, 
basically commission me to do a livery. They'll give me some brands, they might give me some colours, and they'll often say, I quite like this car, quite like that car. But they don't know why. And it's a very hard way to describe something that you like if you don't quite know why it is. And it will be different for different people. So it could be the coloration. It could be the proportion of colors. It could be the fact the graphics are layered. So what I ask now is what cars do you hate? And hate's <laughs> a strong word. Yeah. And you know what? Everyone's got an opinion on that. And that really helps me narrow down my initial vision. So I will ask a client, you know, let's say they wanted to have an orange and black car, just for an example. You know, I'll, I'll come up with a few examples online and just say any of these you hate, any you, you like. And they won't necessarily be orange and black, but they're in my head about how I'm going to sort of split the car up and et cetera, et cetera. And I might put a drift car in or I might put a Ken Block car in or even like an NHRA livery or something like that and see what they don't like and see what they like. And that helps me to narrow down that vision. And then it's no longer a blank canvas. Okay, so the next question then, because <laughs> you kind of mentioned it in there, the next question then would be, what cars do you hate? <laughs> uh, if, if you're allowed to say. <laughs> I, well, that's not really fair. <laughs> but um, I, and probably my livery shirt, most designers have a particular style. I try not to have too much of a style so that I can, you know, uh, please the client. Um, um, I suppose I I like cleaner liveries that use the form of the car. Generally, yeah. I will always, um, not always, but on a let's say a brand like Ferrari or something like that, I will often look at using the body lines a lot more on sort of supercars and exotics because it looks uh, more finished, more resolved. Um, so I. I prefer liveries that use the lines of the car, and that's probably partly because my age. You know, it's it's less in favour nowadays. But I think most of my portfolio now probably doesn't use the line of the cars. You know, I think the I, I had uh, three cars at Le Mans last year, and two of them weren't actually my design. I assisted and laid it out, but neither of those used the lines of the car. So, um, yeah, I suppose that's the only thing. Um, I suppose my other bugbear is series branding because great big number mm. in orange or green doesn't necessarily go on, let's say, uh, Turner Motorsport car. So that's probably it's not so much the whole design of a car, it's elements of the livery mm. I might not like. I was like, just thinking, I answered that like a politician. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I'm sat. Because no, because I'm sat here no, nodding see, along, going. Yeah. I'm I'm sat here nodding along, going. No, I I know exactly what you mean because I do the exact same thing. I use yeah. the lines of the car because, in my from from. Sorry, Jordan. I'm just I'm just going to pretend you're not here for a minute. Um, thanks. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, and this is one reason why whenever whenever we've bought cars. We always buy cars in colours that show show off certain elements of the car best. The cars that the design that you kind of envisage the designers yeah. wanted to be seen, and it's the same in my in my opinion. You know, please do disagree. Um, it's the same when you do a livery for it. You want to show off the lines of the car that are there because they're there for they're there for a reason. They're there to be aesthetically pleasing and to hide them behind to hide them behind lines that don't exist seems a bit 
well, cruel to the designer of the car, really. Well, it's also it's a little bit dependent on what the client wants and what they're getting out of it. So, um, for example, um, if you're an OEM and you start after this podcast, you start thinking about some of the OEM liveries that are out, particularly in GT stuff. Mm. If you're an OEM, you should be using the lines of the car to enhance the car that you are selling. There are a lot of OEMs that don't do that. And to my mind, that's madness because you're disguising the product you're selling. Mm. Conversely, if you are a guy in British GT or, okay, let's uh, let's go with like a single seat, like an F3, that's not important to them because at the end of the day, they're not selling Aston Martins. They're not selling Dallaras. Mm. So then it's a little bit different. You, you know, you can use the lines of the car to enhance your livery to make it maybe you know, more resolved, more at market if you're like a blue chip brand. But that's not so critical. But with a with an um an OEM brand, like I think it's madness that that some OEMs actually disguise the cars they're trying to sell. And if you want a good example of that, there's uh, Nissan with the uh, GTR a few years ago, which white base with red and black elements over it. And these lines and these graphics, whilst they gave us uh, a good sense of speed, completely disguised the form of the car they're trying to sell. Mm. Anyway, that, that that was my little rant. <laughs> <laughs> so. to, and, and, like, and again, I'm pretty certain most of our listeners, because uh, as you probably know, you know, particularly with the Toronto Toro community in particular, we have a lot of livery designers. Um, oh, yeah. So, good ones. And I'm and I'm really kind of hoping that a lot of them are going to be listening and going, you know, quickly scribbling down notes and thinking, ah, <laughs> that that makes a lot of sense. We should do that now. Um, well, it can do. I think it's important to understand what the client wants because mm. you know you are the designer, you are the creative force, but you also have to answer the brief, uh, and your strength should hopefully be able to adjust um, to answer what their client wants. There's a couple of cars that um, that you've that you've been involved in over time that jumped out at me through the time that I've uh, known you. The first one is um, the Schubert Motorsport um, Shift Two Unleashed. I called it the Net Car because it's got that fantastic, um, yeah. well, mesh. yeah, mesh design across. Yeah. How, how did that come about? I, I, I have an idea in my head, but I really want to hear it from you. <laughs> uh, so the actual version with the mesh that was reflective, or partially reflective, mm. so it glowed uh, in Dubai and the Nürburgring, was actually the second year. The first year, um, so I worked for, after I left motor racing in the UK, I, I worked for EA, ironically, on the first Formula One console games, did all the car models and the textures. So the side racing stuff is sort of going back full circle a bit. Um, so that was 99 to 2001, two. And then I transitioned into Need for Speed, moved to Canada. Uh, and then I assisted a little bit with Shift. Um, so before Shift happened, um, Need for Speed decided to create a racing team uh, which would work across multiple disciplines. So we and they wanted one livery that would work across multiple stuff. So it would work in GT racing, 
uh, Eye of Time Attack, uh, Drifting, uh, I can't remember what else now, but, you know, so, yeah, Drifting and GT racing is very different in terms of what you see on the track. Mm. So we had to come up with a livery. We needed a livery that wasn't a cookie-cutter sort of corporate livery, something a bit different, uh, and it did take an age, and I went down lots of uh, dead ends, and then I just came up with an idea because Need for Speed at that point had a new logo, and... Um, Long story short, I created a asymmetric livery uh, of which the color splits were always the same on all the cars, but each car was personalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the exception of the GT car, which was just white and black. Uh, Matt Powers, who was a drifter, um, had leopard skin over two corners. Uh, Frederick Asbo, who's now a Formula Drift champion, he his background... He'd raced uh, Supras in Norway, so we did Rocket Red, Vibrant Red uh, corners. So each car had its own thing. Um, fast forward the second year, um, Shift was in development, and we wanted to try and connect the visual with, uh, sorry, the virtual with the real world. Now, bear in mind, this was like 2010, 2011. Um, so it came up a few ideas, and we ended up using the mesh, and it was actually LODB. Uh, from Need for Speed Shift. Now, LODB is actually not the highest level of detail because it had too many polylines and you couldn't see the branding. So we actually uh, ended up using a lower LOD and we added that to the car and some of that uh, was in reflective and some of that was just in silver. So it glowed when it went under a flood lamp or photographer's flash. Um, So Schubert, who the team that ran it, their vinyl guy had to tape those on one by one and by and and follow my follow my guidelines which mainly were just get the surface lines correct goes back to what we were just saying get the surface lines correct and then just do a good job at you know making squares elsewhere and it come out really well it's i can tell you i can tell you now it was a surprisingly difficult car to replicate in forza just putting that yeah. out there <laughs> but i i ended up i ended up recreating that in need to speed the run which is the last game i was involved with because it was like the styling director so yeah it was a stupid title it was really just a yeah i sort of looked off the liveries and the look of the cars and stuff uh and i thought well yeah i'll create this one because I, I i wasn't able to do that meant create many Deliveries from scratch in game, and yeah, I regretted doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the well, so the next car that I'm um, going to bring up is a much more recent one. It's it's a it's a standout car and and a absolutely amazing design. So I, I had to ask you about it. Uh, the P1 Motorsports. Now I'm going to mispronounce this. The Chupa Chupa Cabra. Chupa Cabra. <clears throat> there we go. Um, <laughs> That's a pro yeah, right that, there. <laughs> you know that was actually almost a bit of a blank canvas. The the the, the driving force behind the team, a guy called J.C. Perez, um, he had an image of a tuba cabra, and he says, I want this on a car. And we came up with some ideas along the lines of sort of how Jaguar do their leaping Jaguar on the F1 cars, and I suppose Formula E cars. And it just looked, wasn't working. So... I've always loved the All-American Racers Eagle with the eagle nose on the on that IndyCar, that era, and that particular shape of the nose was perfect. 
So I have tried countless times to do animals and graphics of using the face of a, a car um, actually as an animal and, and never either got, been able to dissolve it or never had a client bite. Um, so I sort of looking at the Mercedes, and the Mercedes, as you can imagine, is a very aggressive-looking, menacing front end, particularly if it's like right up in your mirror. Even, so more, I started, even more so the new edition. Yes, indeed. Um, so I started sort of playing with some ideas, and they weren't working and stuff. And then I just thought, right, I'll be a lot more abstract. Um, and then the coloration came after that, because originally we were going to do it in two shades of green, which we actually ended up doing the following year and on Mercedes, and later that first year on a Lamborghini uh, Huracan in the Super Trofeo. But, um, yeah, we sort of played about with some colors. We had an orange version as well. Um, and then I think the satin chrome, I think that was just his request. Um, so yeah, that, that was a fun one to do, but, but that, that it's funny that actually came about quite quickly. So two of my most complicated liveries actually came or happened very quickly just cause luckily I hit on an idea and it worked. There's countless where they haven't. <laughs> I believe trial and error is the uh, is the mantra, isn't it, in this particular field? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I do a lot. Of, I print out a lot of blanks and then just sketch with pen and pencil. I I nick my daughter's pens now <laughs> and then just sit down over dinner and just sketch some ideas and and that's where that's where I get a lot of stuff. I I actually find that quite useful rather than doing initial ideas on the computer actually. I sometimes have to settle for the back of an envelope, which one day I'm sure will make an amazing story when I come up with something incredible. Uh, oh, yeah. Not oh, yet. Plenty of cars came about in the back of an envelope. <laughs> um, I suppose this could be a bit of a leading question. Is there any particular particular livery that you've done that you're that that stands out as one that you're particularly proud of? Or is it, or is it a case that the whole portfolio is like I'm, the whole... Um, body of work is 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 good for you um well yeah the, the whole body's good for me because you know um it is like a business card it's your calling card and in other ways the last card's your your the most important one um i have a few that like probably because i'm pleased with because not only how they came out but also how they got wrapped because you know, often the rap company doesn't always get the credit they deserve because there's some atrocious rap companies around and there's some absolutely amazing rap companies come around and that can transform them, you know, what you've designed. Um, I think, like, I'm really happy and proud of the gear racing Lamborghini that I did literally over Christmas this past this past year or this past uh, festive season. Um there was a BMW I did for the Saudi Falcons, which used a chrome green, uh, which ran in Dubai. <clears throat> uh, I think it was a year after Team Need for Speed. I think it might have been the old Team Need for Speed chassis. Um, but it was it was it ran with Schubert, and um, that had like a chrome green, and then this the, their team graphic, which was a Falcon sort of graphic. Um, and actually, one of the early designs of that, I tried to get the Falcon working on the front of the car like we did with the tuba cabra mm. um yeah those two stand out i'm i'm pleased with the turner stuff the turner liveries are interesting because they evolve every year a little bit but because they haven't changed 
in a way they've become iconic and a lot of people go on about iconic liveries and you can miss the point on iconic li- a livery can become iconic if it's successful so think about the mazda 787 uh, or uh, it can become iconic because it, it it carries on for years sometimes with nips and tucks and tweaks mm. but then everybody knows it like a can of coca-cola so martini's a good example you know golf you know those liveries are well the golf livery is very simple because obviously it was originally designed in another time but that's very iconic but that's iconic because it's been on 20 or 30 cars so i'm quite pleased with how the turner stuff's come out because we've been able to create a look and a brand which is instantly recognizable as a mm. turner car I was going to say, do you think that there's, this might be a bit of a philosophical question really, do you think there's a bit of a difference between iconic and recognisable in that sense? Because as you write yourself, something like Golf has been on countless different car, you know, cars over goodness knows how many decades. Mm. Everyone recognises it as a Golf car, doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good car thinking of the yeah. AMR1, for instance. Um, should probably keep that one oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think generally, sweeping statement time, an iconic car will be a recognisable car um, to a fan. So, you know, as I said, the 787 uh, Mazda, the 7 Up Jordan, um, which only ran for a year, mm. you know. So they're iconic, they're recognisable. So, yeah, I think an iconic car is also a recognisable car, but a recognisable car isn't necessarily iconic. But what's iconic to one person isn't to another, and that's the beauty of art and design is it's all personal taste, it's all personal opinion. If everybody designed liveries to one brief, one design, one style, we, it would get boring very quickly. <laughs> even if it design. So, you know, what, what floats one person's boat isn't going to work for somebody else, and that's the cool thing about it. I was going to say, because I think I'm probably one of the very few people in this entire world who thinks that the BAR01 zip livery is actually really, really, really good. Um, no, I like it. I think I think it was a great idea of getting around a big issue. Yeah. And I actually think it was very well resolved. Now, the Earth livery, they did a few years later, has a totally different kettle of fish. Oh. But... <laughs> It has to be like one of the worst livers ever, that one. But um, no, I thought the zip one was a very clever way of doing it. And I have to say, because interestingly, um, uh, what was it? I think it was actually the very first race, and Ricardo's on to spun, and just the angle that they, they showed of him spinning, it was literally triple five, lucky strike, triple five, lucky strike, triple five, lucky strike. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, I'll tell you what, they're getting their brand awareness in today. That's fantastic marketing. I was... Um... I think I just, I think I was still at McLaren. I'm not sure if I just left, but I still had access to press photos somewhere. And I was looking and there was a test. And I think, well, I'm not sure if it was Real Nerve and Zonta. I'm not sure who had spun. But mind you, they had a test driver, actually, Patrick something. And um, I think it was actually him. He'd spun and the teammate went past in the test. And one was facing one way on the grass and one was facing the other. So they had, there was a shot where you got both <laughs> both sides. Because that was the one thing I thought would have been very clever but would have cost more for bodywork 
is you have Vilners with 555 on the left and Lucky Strike on the right, and then you have Zonta reversed. So if you have two in the same shot going past, you get both brands. And made photo finish much more interesting if they'd actually really ever finished. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the photographers had generally gone home by the time they could. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, Andy, it's been absolutely fantastic speaking to you. I could honestly, I could spend a whole entire show talking to you about about liveries and the design process and everything because it is something <laughs> that it's a subject that's very close to my heart. And I'm sure Ben cool. and Ben and Lewis are over in the US now, rolling their eyes and probably and probably straining <laughs> spraining their eyeballs as we speak with me uh, going on like this. Um, uh, yes, we'll have to do another one. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. We'll have a, we will definitely have a part two on this because I think. Um, cool. Uh, as we uh, carry on with our, um, our our mini series of modding as well, I think liveries play a massive role in that. And obviously, seeing your uh, uh, your work in uh, in iRacing is um, has been fantastic. And I think it's encouraged a lot of other people to get involved, which is marvellous. Cool. So thank you ever so much, Andy. It's been brilliant having you on. As I say, we'll definitely definitely have to try and get you back on uh, in the future. Sounds like a plan. <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. Right, Jordan, we're going to have to go there, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's time we um, talk about the elephant that may or may not be in the room, depending on whether they've got another elephant to pretend to be them. Um, Daniel Apt. Mm. <laughs> so, um, it kind of links into our, what I'm now famously calling the uh, Real World Counterpart Series Roundup of the Week. Um, the, I'm, just going uh, to, latest... I'm, I'm just going to close the curtains and put a poultice on my head because I think I can, <laughs> I can sense a migraine coming on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the latest round of the Formula E Stay at Home uh, series uh, took place last weekend at the uh, newly released uh, Berlin Tempelhof circuit on R Factor 2. We'll get onto that a little bit later because it's really cool that they just brought that in like out of the blue. Um, however, it was slightly overshadowed by what happened in the race. So um, it seemed to be a fairly normal race at first. There was a little, little bit of carnage, as you've come to expect with, with um, the Formula E series in particular. Um, the race was eventually won by... My note has just flown off of the page. Oliver Rowland. Oliver Rowland. Nissan, he dams. He dams? Nissan, anyway. Uh, Nissan, yes. Oliver Rowland would eventually take the win ahead of Stoffel Van Dorn. But the intriguing thing happened mm. where um, Daniel Apt, or um, the person who might or may not <laughs> the driver have been po- Daniel Apt. The driver possibly known as. <laughs> um, a little bit of context. Daniel Apt hasn't been showing very well in the Formula E races so far. He, I think he was uh, second from the bottom on the championship standings. Mm. Um but he seemed to do rather well out of the blue. He, he, he led much of the, he inverted comments, uh, led much of the race and uh, ultimately finished third. And immediately post race, Stoffel Van Dorn was saying stuff like, um, Oh, there's no way that was Daniel kind of thing. Well, allegedly he was actually saying that after qualifying and was seen yeah. on his, on his, um, on the, uh, the zoom or whatever it is, uh, video thing, possibly texting him going, Dan, was that even Dan. you? <laughs> <laughs> so, lo and behold, after the race, uh, the organisers investigated the claims that were coming from many the, uh, many drivers on the grid saying that it wasn't actually Daniel App driving. Hmm. And after cross-referencing 
uh, IP addresses, they discovered that no, it had not been uh, Daniel Abt. It was actually a pro sim racing driver called Lawrence Herzing. I'm, pro- I'm mispronouncing the name, but we it's a long running thing where I can't pronounce names properly. Um, so an 18 year old who was in Austria at the time and certainly not where Daniel Abt was in Germany. Um, Immediately, uh, Daniel Lapp was disqualified from this championship and banned from competing in any of the further races. And he was also ordered to make a compulsory donation of 10,000 euros to a charity of his choosing. And we kind of thought that that was going to be the end of it. Mm. A couple of days passed. We, we, we thought, oh, yeah, it was a really stupid thing. I don't know why he did it, but, you know, it seems like it's done. And then earlier in the week, um, the bombshell dropped. <laughs> um, Audi Sport apt announced uh, that they had suspended Daniel Apt and it's uh, later come out that that suspension means that he will no longer be racing for the team in Formula E. Um, their statement mentioned um, it's a um, wrong statement. <laughs> uh, integrity, transparency and consist- consistent compliance with applicable rules are top priorities for Audi. This applies to all activities the brand is involved in without exception. Yeah. So that was listed as their reasons for having suspended him. Uh, later in the day, uh, Daniel Apt uh, released a statement explaining the whole situation. Um, I, it was a 15-minute video in German, so I, I won't tell you everything that he said. But essentially, his um, I, and I do believe him on this. I, he, he, at no point was he trying to um, pull the wool over people's eyes permanently and like acting as if it was going to be him. He claims that afterwards he was going to make a video um, where he, it would reveal that, haha, it wasn't actually me driving it was the sim racing driver look how funny and yeah that that he is a uh well-known person on youtube he's got quite a big youtube channel i do feel if this had been done the right way it could have been quite entertaining like you know tell the organizers that you're gonna yeah, do it but the fact we'll get on to everything wrong with the situation in a second but the fact that he didn't tell i don't want to ma- i don't want to go into a into a debate about um current affairs and a certain person um testing his eyesight by Drive by driving. <laughs> However, the list of the list of monumental biblical utter rubbish that came out of that particular person's mouth, and the contents of this particular video we're discussing, kind of similar in my mind. Mm-hmm. But I'll let you finish first. The, the, the main grievance of it, is, whether it was his intention to release the video as a prank afterwards or not, it is um, is another matter. Um, but. The thing that really griped us being a sim racing um, show and being avid sim racers and massively passionate about the community is that Daniel App essentially spent the first third of this video justifying why he had done it by saying that the racing was in no way similar to real life and that it, it, he, it wasn't to be taken seriously. And, and essentially, yeah, he, he damaged not just through his actions, but then through his justification of his actions, has further damaged sim racing. We've seen uh, similar damaging cases over the last few months, you know, with the whole Kyle Larson thing, uh, with the fallout from the Indy 500 virtual race with Simon Paginot, Lando Norris, and Santino Ferrucci. Um, But uh, at the beginning of the video, he says, um, regarding the Formula E series on our Factor 2, it's a game, a simulation, uh, which uh, does not have anything in common with real racing. It's definitely very far away from what makes a real Formula E car. And at the same time, he purposely overlaid a video of a massive multi-car pilot that had happened in one of the races. Mm. And he says later in the video that he is glad that the sim racers didn't get involved in the situation and aren't being punished for it. 
but inadvertently they are because all his actions and his justification has damaged sim racing and i, I know you feel very strongly about what has yeah. happened since because we've now seen in the wake of daniel app's um suspension we've seen a lot of drivers who were doing these races and streaming suddenly coming out saying oh we're not streaming anymore because it's um because potentially we're, we're going to stream and then we might get banned for something now I, I know you'll continue this point further but surely the obvious is staring you in the face if, if you're not cheating or saying something that you really shouldn't be saying you're not going to be at risk of losing your contact if you contract if you behave as you would in a normal circumstance nothing bad's going to happen you don't have to stop streaming no you're absolutely right um and I think the reaction, frankly, and, and this comes from a number of drivers for whom I generally have a lot of respect for. Uh, there's very few drivers I don't like. <laughs> certainly, <laughs> certainly very few that I don't get on with. And uh, this reaction has really disappointed me. Uh, hmm. As someone who has obviously been involved in running tour for you know the thick end of 13 years, who has been involved in sim racing uh, for the for the better part of two decades, um, and who has been racing on computer games since, let's face it, 1992, 1993. That's Blimey. a massive. That's a massive. <laughs> kick. I'm I'm old. That's, that's longer ma- than I've been alive. <laughs> it's, a, it's a massive <laughs> kick in the teeth. Because irrespective of your opinion of what the particular... Let's break this down, okay? So you want to say you want to say that uh, the racing isn't realistic. Okay, that's... I would never say that it's not, because on a philosophical basis, on a, on a physicality basis, you are absolutely correct. It is not real. We are not sat in cars. We are not driving around at the thick end of 200 miles an hour around racing tracks. Well, far slower than that on street circuits beat around the bush there is not a risk of physical harm there is not a risk of physical harm unless unless your partner comes up and beats you around the head for hogging the television or some such or if your rig falls over yeah (laughs) yes very true which taylor was that um oh i can i I think it was jordan but i i'm probably wrong i have to ask lewis i I, I get them quite mixed up i have to ask lewis um but that's quite beside the point. That's not the argument that's being had because the footage that he shows shows all the crash and the reaction to and Nicky team did this. Nicky, please, come on. Yeah. Oh, it's all for fun. It's all it's all a game. No. Well, yes, but no. Yes, yes, it is a, no. yes, <laughs> it is a game. But the organisers have set this event up as a replacement for a real series because they're trying to keep people's in employment is the let's face it the crux yeah. of this matter because nothing else is going on all right nothing else so your employer is is basically saying right you are to take part in this here's all the equipment i'm i'm this this bit i'm yeah because it could be a case of like nicky like various other drivers they've already got all the kit Obviously, we know there's a lot of other drivers who've had to get the kit subsequently and then mm. take part. But as an em- an employer telling an employee, you are representing our brand in this event. Okay, that is what you are supposed to do in your contract between you and your employer, in which, in this case, Daniel Apt and Aldi. Mm. You don't cheat. 
You don't do things that potentially brings your employer into disrepute. That isn't something specific to motorsport. That is something that is in pretty much every single person's contract of employment across the certainly in every con contract of employment I've ever had. And I've mm. never worked for a racing team. <laughs> this you know? is what confuses me the most is that um, a lot of racing drivers, I, I think, are playing dumb with the real reason as to what led to Apps. Um, at suspension mm. is um, is the whole the image that it propels on to all of the team's partners and sponsors etc yeah. I mean you've got some of the people's reactions to this so, I mean you've always got the people who are going to say it's a game bro and stuff like that I mean that that's just one that's just not knowing at all anything about the subject matter but people have been saying like um, uh, Antonio Felix de Costa's reaction was do we accept cheating no but who never cheated at Monopoly well, that's for a start. That's completely not the same thing. No, because you're not um, you're not employed by somebody to play a Monopoly. Exactly, and as as and I'm Audi said, certain, and I'm pretty sure we don't stream Monopoly. I mean, good lord, no, can you imagine? Uh, I imagine someone somebody probably does. does. <laughs> but, um, but as Audi said in their statement, the um, integrity, transparency, and consistent compliance with applicable rules were top priorities, and it it. It applies to all activities the brand is involved in, without exception. Mm. It that's it's it right there. It you are bringing the team and the sponsors and the partners into disrepute. It doesn't matter what scenario that takes place in, whether it's on the racetrack, whether it's off the track but at the racetrack, whether it's at home on a live stream in front of just as big of an audience yeah. as you would have at the real racetrack. What one person who I'm particularly disappointed didn't really seem to understand the point of why he was suspended was Jean Eric Verne, who said, better. "After all, this is a game that should be taken seriously, but it is a game." Well, that's again, it's not the point. I thought he would know because he is heavily involved with Veloce Esports. Yeah, and how many partners has he managed to get a hold of through the esports side of, of Veloce? The problem here is also is, and I, it was a concern I had in the back of my mind and it's a concern I've shared with, between our little group as you know and now the rest of the world gets to hear it well the listeners of the show at least mm. I always felt there was a potential for the motorsport world be it series organisers teams, drivers who have relied so heavily on us as a community during this period of time to as soon as the option was there for them to go and go about their original business, cast us away. Mm. Oh, you, you know, you're dispo you're dis dispensable. We don't really need You've you. You've done your bit now. Yeah. You yeah. Know, all the all the lip service that was paid in the run up. Oh yeah, no, it's really so realistic. Oh, it's really good to be doing this. You know, oh the tracks are so good. Blah blah blah. And then all of a sudden, oh it's just a game. Yes, yeah, this game is irrelevant. Yeah. It, it, it's it, it's. It, it, That's it, the most disappointing thing from all of this, really, is the, is the fact that it's yet another situation that's come along where sim racing has been there to provide the fans a, a source of entertainment to watch during this time. Hmm. But it's provided the teams, as you said, and the sponsors with a means to carry on with their what they had agreed in contracts with regards to exposure and all of that. And... As you say, as soon as it comes toward near to the end of the point where they're going to rely on sim racing, all of a sudden, yeah, it's it's they've downplayed its importance and saying, oh, it's just a game. And the problem is with that is, it's it it's almost twofold. It's probably going to be threefold, but we'll we'll start with twofold and see how far my brain <laughs> and see how far my brain goes. See how many folds we get. Yes, yeah, yes. 
<laughs> from the get-go with all of this the problem lies in the fact that as we've just said we automatically think there's something going to go there's something going to happen here they're not going to they're not going to run with it they're certainly not going to stick around mm. um but yet you've also got certain drivers i'm going to mention george russell and obviously he'll pop up very briefly in a not too distant future we talk about f1 who has come out and said that sim racing is actually he's gotten more exposure through this than he would than he has done being being in the williams in terms absolutely. of absolutely you know and I, I cannot understand because sim racing consists and again this is a bit of a broad brush statement mostly of people who love motorsport love cars love specific racing series want to get involved in motorsport but can't because of they can't afford it have never been to a racing circuit because they can't afford it you know, we're we're in a bit of a bubble, the likes of you and I and Ben and people like that, who who have either been to racing circuits, been on been on racing circuits. Obviously, you you know you've 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 done the Stowe circuit. I've I've done Silverton. I've done Thruxton and Castlecombe, mm. and Cota actually. You know, and and I can I, I I consider myself incredibly lucky to be able to do that. I go to motor racing events pretty much every single year and have done since 1995. There's going to be there's there's people in this world who who will never do that, ever, mm. you know, and therefore sim racing is the closest they get to appreciate what their heroes do. So to have those heroes turn around and completely belittle it, how does that make the fan base feel? Mm. You're, you, you know, you've got a series like Formula One saying, you know, we really need to do more to engage with our younger audience. We really need to do more to encourage them to come to races and blah 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 and engage with us. Yet you've got drivers. Well, you've got people like Max Verstappen basically slating the Formula One game, saying how bad it is, and Mando <laughs> Norris should uninstall it, which can't help. <laughs> but you, but you've got drivers completely belittling the fan base. Mm. That's not going to help series down the line. That's not going to help encourage new fans. Because and obviously we're we're in a very um, uh, biased position, like you would say, because we are so into sim racing, and yeah. I think it is important to to underline the fact that that is the angle that we are approaching this from. There are a couple of different facets to this that that make it a bit of a weird subject. Like if if I was in Audi's position, would I have fired him? I I can't say that I would have. Well, but... he's been suspended, hasn't it? Which is a little different. Yeah, but he, either way, he has lost his Formula E drive. He will not be driving for them in Formula E again. I can't say that I would have made that decision. Um, and, w- and when you look at what happened with Simon Pagano and Santino Ferrucci in, in IndyCar, they didn't have any punishment whatsoever. So I can see why there's some aggrievement there. There's also some who are believing that this was an excuse that Audi have used because they wanted to get rid of Apt for a while with the potential of putting Rene Rast in the car. But obviously, I'm, I'm sure they'll talk about that more on Midweek Motorsport. Mm. But... From the point of view, simply from sim racing, ignoring all of the the real world uh, aspects that could lead into this decision being made in this way, if just simply from the sim racing point of view, having people like Daniel Apt and his defenders such as De Costa and Vern taking this stance on sim racing and, and belittling it, trying to minimise the situation, it is just extraordinarily frustrating because this this whole period while we've been under lockdown, 
I've seen some people, I, I cannot remember where, I think it was Julian Tan from Formula One uh, or from the F1 Esports uh, side of the um, uh, business uh, saying that the growth that Esports has had under this time, it, it's been like 12 years growth in a couple of months or mm. words to that effect. I can well believe it. Yeah, and, and un, it's unarguable that sim racing has made loads of steps forward under this time. It has been absolutely fantastic for sim racing. But we are still having these couple of incidents, like with Larson, with Pagano, Ferrucci, and now with Apt, that have taken a few steps back that were just totally unnecessary. And yet, ironically, it's the business, it's the uh, industry that sim racing is trying to align itself and assist. Let's not forget mm. that is doing that is doing the damage. It's not people from sim racing doing the damage. No, it's it's yeah, it's it's reality belittling. The virtual, which I think's frankly, and, I'm, and I don't use this term very often, but I'm going to use it, disgusting. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it is of an emotive subject because we you know we're all heavily invested in it, time, money, life, generally. Um, but it's not a good look for them. Um, and it and this is going to be a thing that runs on far longer than we have in the last 10 minutes of the show jordan oh god um, already i know <laughs> we're, gonna, we're going to have to crack on with some of the real world motorsport just very quickly please do share your thoughts uh with us about all of what you've heard so far um at the real underscore torah of course you can also ping us uh questions and, and the like on uh the midweek motorsport listeners collective uh and we will of course try and include those in future shows with all that said and done, some racing did happen. We're going to have to rattle through this pretty quickly because I do want to spend some time on the uh, the upcoming Le Mans 24 hours. Yes. Um, so, as we mentioned briefly earlier on, uh, George Russell uh, took his second consecutive win in Monaco. Yeah, it was a very uh, another very good race. Um, pretty mixed up. Uh, there, there was a wet qualifying, which I thought was absolute genius on behalf of whoever decided to do that. And it was a uh, Pietro Fittipaldi that came out of nowhere and took pole position, but uh, fell back during the race. Uh, Russell would go on to basically dominate um, one by over 30 seconds ahead of uh, Esteban Gutierrez. And uh, I've got Charles Leclerc Claire. written here, but I'm not sure which one it was. I think it was Charles. <laughs> Um, <laughs> probably both... oh yes because Ar- oh, Arthur was involved in a collision with Lando Norris which oh, was and of course, a, both another of the... little bit of controversy oh, but... real, mo- real motorsport fans both of those incredibly good sim racers just saying yeah. <laughs> uh, also in this race we had the debut of Valtteri Bottas which yeah, okay. was uh, great to see him getting involved he qualified 7th ahead of Lando Norris uh, which was very impressive but uh, in a lap 1 incident uh, he fell all the way back to last and recovered to finish 11th we were also meant to have the debut of uh, Esteban Ocon. Uh, Renault were going to make a big PR deal about this and having him racing from uh, L'Atelier Renault, my French isn't great, on the Champs-Élysées in Paris. Uh, but um, there was going to be this whole thing. He was going to be filmed while he was there. There was a computer set up and it was all going to be this good PR thing. But technical errors prevented him from racing. So it, that's a massive shame. It kind of sums up where he is at the moment in his Formula One um, career because he's, uh, you know, he's had the year off. He's itching to get back racing, but obviously all of this lockdown has prevented him from getting back on the real track. So that was a bit of a shame. Um, also at Monaco, we had the support races. So we had the virtual F2 race. Uh, Louis Delatraz won the feature race. 
after um, it looked as though it was going to go the way of uh, Lirums and Delhi, but um, a uh, disconnection and a couple of late penalties put him out of contention. Then they had their five-lap sprint race um, afterwards, which, again, the five-lap sprint race sounds like a genius idea. They're starting to get some really cool things with the F1 esports. I'm starting to like the direction they're going in. It was a bit of a rough start, but they're getting there now. Um, the sprint race uh, looked like it was going to go the way of Juan Manuel Correa, but um, two penalties on the last lap meant that he would uh, end up having the win taken away from him, and that would go to Arthur Leclerc. Um, and then very briefly, we also had the F1 eSports Pro Exhibition race. Uh, that would be uh, won by Lucas Blakely for Racing Point. And just very quickly in the Supercars All-Stars series, I really need to catch up with that because it's very, very good, but I've been very, very busy at work. Uh, <laughs> SVG uh, won at Phillip Island in race one. Uh, De Pasquale uh, won, won race two, which they did at Interlagos. There's a logistical nightmare. Uh, with SVG <laughs> winning race three, also Interlagos. Um, so, I mean, SV, I mean um, Shane must be nigh on to win the championship by now, I would have thought. Yeah, he's in the title lead. He's extended it. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure on the points uh, circumstances at the moment, but he, he has extended his title lead after a couple of um, misfortunate races for Scott McLaughlin. Incidentally, he and SVG had a fantastic battle for the lead uh, during one of the Interlagos races. It's amazing to see what um, people who respect the platform can do. Yes, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> Uh, next week's races uh, will be at Road Atlanta and Road America, barring any uh, changes. Very good circuits. Excellent. Really good choices for... i tell you what, one thing I'll give uh, Supercars, they've picked brilliant circuits. Did you happen to see... I don't believe it was spoken about on the other show, on the um, other guys' show, uh, the oval race they did at Charlotte in the V8 Supercars. I haven't watched it, but I'm aware it was very good. It was fantastic. It was probably better racing than NASCAR have had recently. <laughs> So that that is fantastic. I wasn't sure it was going to work, but it, it brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So that's going to be um... right. And we must talk about the other big one that's happening: um, the Le Mans 24 virtual spinny on mm. the end of that. Cause it'd be Le Mans virtual. Um, I don't know. I just works better in my head. Uh, yeah. Massive. <laughs> but it, it, we we touched on it uh, not that long ago. Massive um, entry for this. Pretty much all official teams which is just astounding. Um, a good spread of prototype and uh, GT cars uh, in this. R-Factor um, really doing some excellent work to update various parts of the game to make it even more uh, enjoyable for uh, all, all uh, involved. What I like about this is it's doing it the proper way that we, we all thought about at the start of um, all the real-world motorsport counterpart series. Is It's not only is it including all of the real-world teams that would have been in it, but it's also bringing in sim racing. They've, they've yeah. managed to merge the two really well. So you've got the likes of uh, Rebellion and Toyota competing with the likes of Veloce and Redline. Have you seen Redline's lineup for this race? Max and Lando are doing Le Mans, Max baby. Max and Lando with Gregor Hutu and Atsi Kirkhoff. That's a race-winning team there. They might as well not turn up with any other like uh, competitors. It's that is going to be absolutely fantastic. It's a very they, good entry. But, but yeah, they're doing but, it the right way around. They're doing it the right way around. They're mixing it the real world with the sim racing, and it's it's good to see one of the championships taking it that way and actually integrating the people who were here before the real world lot showed yes. up. Yes, <laughs> but but also not just not just on the team level, but also on the driver level, because pretty much all the real teams have also got virtual drivers in their lineups. 
Mm. Yeah, um, for Porsche, for example, are basically split half and half with their real racing drivers, such as uh, Tandy, Pile, Lotta, Ayani. But then they've also got a lot of their racing drivers who are in the uh, Porsche Super Cup eSports series, such as uh, Mitchell de Jong, Martin Kronke, etc. I misread one of those now. I thought David Walliams was getting involved. That would have been exciting, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a no from me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have wanted to have been on that vo- on that um, Discord channel for whatever stint he was in. Goodness yeah. me, that would have been not, uh, distracting. Uh, it, it's looking brilliant. I mean, it really, really is. Uh, just a quick heads up of the sort of teams that are in here. Rebellion, three cars by Collis in there. I don't think they have fire simulation in our factor, do they? Oof. Um, I hope not. For <laughs> uh, Penske are in there with a single car. Toyota there too. Panis, right? Actually, Toyota are technically there with three cars. Uh, Panis Racing in there. Uh, Rebe- Rebellion Williams Esports. Oh, that's actually four cars from them. Goodness me, they could have aligned it a bit better. Uh, <laughs> FA Racing, so that's Fernando's team. Multimatic, Veloce, obviously. Uh, uh, Idex Sport, Veloce again. Redline, we've mentioned. United Auto Sports, uh, t- uh, E-Team WRT, uh, two Cs, that's cool. I'm glad to see they've made it. Jota, Team Redline. Um, it's absolutely, absolutely mega. I mean, that is basically Le Mans, isn't it? AF yeah. course there. Uh, team Project 1 uh, will be in the Porsches, Corvette. Uh, and I'm, it's, it's a proper race. AF course have turned up. Yeah, that, oh, means that's, that means it's official. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Three Aston Martins as well. Uh, the, I mean, even the reserve list is bringing... Reese are on the reserve list. Fordzilla, which is uh, Ford's official esports team. Kessel are on there. Ah, oh, Team LNT Janetta. There's even a team being fielded by uh, Princess Charlene of Monaco. I've heard that. What's that about? <laughs> I'm not sure, but um, you've got the likes of uh, Giancarlo Fisichella and Felipe Massa in there. Frank, uh, Francesco <laughs> Castellacci and Francesco uh, Castellacci. I mean, that's a good lineup. And fans of Jimmy Broadbent will will also be quite uh, interested in this. He hasn't confirmed what team he's going to be racing for yet, but he has basically said that he will be there. So, yeah, it's just it's in, it's like I said before, it's great to see one of these championships, including the sim racing community in this race and yeah. I can't wait for that event I think this is the most excited I've been for any of these special events that have happened during the lockdown period never, never mind the fact that in the not too distant future we also have Taurus very own Le Mans 24 hours and, of it's, and for once it won't be like directly on top of our one <laughs> quite happy I, um, yeah I think um, the uh, this uh, the virtual race uh, on our factor 2 will be taking place on the 13th and 14th of June so that is the week after uh, our own Lamar. I am putting this out there. I am very, very hopeful that should these sort of st- these events continue, I'm very, very keen to get a uh, a team together to do this kind of stuff because I think it's possible. Yeah. I really do. With a year, with a year under my belt, how hard can it be? <laughs> uh, massive shout out, of course, to um, the fantastic guys at uh, Gorilla Modding who uh, threw together a just stonkingly good version of the cyber 2020 uh southwest comms cyber racing aston martin vantage v12 uh so thank you very much for that it's beautiful 
and will be coming to race circuits near you very soon. Uh, we do have to. I had to get that in there. We do have to quickly, of course, <laughs> mention just on the real e uh, real real esports. What did I just real say? Real esports. Wow. Good. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a Benism, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Just on the on the real series esports news. Uh, the IMSA Pro Series uh, continues later this evening uh, from Virginia International Raceway. Can BMW bounce back, or will Porsche maintain the winning streak from Road America? I hope so. Quite like the Porsche. Very quickly, a uh, quick bit of Tora news. Jordan, the Tora Tascar throwback challenge. Yes, um, regular listeners will be aware that we've recently had a little bit of a exploratory step into the unknown, as it were, by hosting some iRacing series. Uh, the MX5 Cup Series is, uh, will be ending next week at uh, the Charlotte Roval, I believe. Um, details on what our next full-length series uh, will be coming in the next few days, weeks, maybe. We're just deciding on what cars to use, etc. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure whatever Chaddy, um, Craig Wilson picks will be good. In the meantime, however, on, on Friday, June 12th, um, I will be hosting the Tora Tascar Throwback Challenge. So the first time the Tascar name is being taken to iRacing, uh, we will be racing at North Wilkesboro with the what will be then the newly released 1987 NASCAR Cup cars. So um, if you're interested in taking part, definitely head over to the um, Discord, our Tora Discord, for more information. Um, you don't necessarily have to be a Tora member to sign up for this particular event. I want to use it as a sort of an advertisement to get us more on the radar for iRacing. So, yeah, if you're interested in taking part in some classic NASCAR action, um, definitely come and attend on June 12th. And on that note, it is time to end what has been a packed and emotional. Emotional? Somewhat angry. Very angry. But also, deeply informative show. I've actually been Matt Hunter. Jordan has actually been jordan actually i haven't i'm i'm, I'm oh, actually, actually i'm daniel app <laughs> plot right. twist i would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids <laughs> <laughs> and our guest this week was the absolutely fantastic andy blackmore who was actually here as well uh thank you ever so much for listening you can of course get us as before at the real underscore Torah on Twitter, racetorah.com, and you can also ping us questions on the midweek midweek motorsport listeners collective on Facebook. Thank you very much for listening. Time to go into a darkened room with the poultice on my head. Bye for now. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at radiolamont.com.